Definitely appreciate the opportunity to be able to preach um, while pastors away. Uh, definitely is a big blessing. Um, thank you for all being here tonight. Now, I also do find it a great comfort to know that being a part of the church as long as I have now, I know that you've all prayed for me. Um, even if you didn't know I was preaching tonight, I do take comfort in knowing that there's so many people here that are praying um, for the services uh, throughout the week um, regularly. So I do appreciate that as well. Um, now this evening we're going to be uh, kind of covering the account of Joshua over the course of two chapters. Um, we're kind of re- reviewing a couple of the things that happened in the past as well. But if you have your Bibles this evening, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3. Uh, we're going to cover all of chapter 3 and 4, but uh, to start off we're going to actually just read the entirety of chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, give you an opportunity to get there. We're going to read through um, the third chapter of Joshua. It says this in verse 1, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came to Jordan, he and the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, Then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant... And went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that, you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the Lord, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand up, stand upon a heap. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the Lord, and as they they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, And the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth his bank, all his banks, all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose upon and heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. 
If you would, uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, thank you for the accounts you've given us uh, throughout the Bible. Um, as you said, they're examples for us um, in conduct and in life. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, give me clarity of thought and speech tonight, uh, that I can present your word clearly, um, so that it can encourage every one of us to follow after you uh, more purposefully in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we get to this point in Joshua chapter 3, um, what leads up to this point is, if, and if you remember much of what's gone on previous to this in the history of, of, of Israel, this is following their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this is them finally preparing to go in and take the land of Canaan like they should have 40 years previously. Now, I am going to kind of recap something that's going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks in Sunday School Lessons. So, two things I'm going to do right now. I'm going to plug Sunday School to say you should be here for Sunday School. And that's also going to make me feel better about stealing some of Franz's thunder because I'm going to be covering some lessons that are coming up. So, you know, sorry, but hey, be here for Sunday School. Now, um, if you're here, you'll actually go through the stories. Now, what we're covering in the next couple of weeks is going to be how... God had delivered the children of Israel and how they ended up here. Now, to do a quick recap of everything that's happened here, just to kind of get into the context of what's happening in, in the passage here, if you recall, essentially, 40 plus years earlier, the children of Israel had spent 400 years of bondage in Egypt. After 400 years of bondage, God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from that bondage in Egypt and he did so through the plagues and through the, through the ten plagues, and they were delivered. And what happened was, after the deliverance, the children of Israel were walking, and they were, they were making their travels toward Canaan, and God was going to lead them through the wilderness and get to the wilderness, prepare them as his covenant people, and then go into Canaan. Now, what happened was, as they're leaving... Egypt, and they're on their way out, they get to the Red Sea, and they're camping there at the Red Sea as God had led them to, and they're sitting there waiting. And if you recall, what happens is Pharaoh gets so angered that he chases after the children of Israel and follows after them in a hard pursuit. And so the children of Israel, now mind you, I want you to think as children of Israel, they had just spent 400 years. Every one of the individuals that had just left Egypt didn't know anything else other than serving this, this violent taskmaster who was chasing after them. They get here to the, the Red Sea, which, you know, there are ways to, to cross the Red Sea. They would have had to go around. But at this point, they're cornered between an army out for blood that just lost their firstborn. So, like, they, they're, they're like the height of anger. And they're hard pursuing them. And the children of Israel here are standing literally between a rock and a hard place, and God comes in in a miraculous way, delivers them by parting the Red Sea, and Moses, you know, the famous quote, you know, stand, see and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The waters part, and the children of Israel, amazed, go across on the dry ground, on the bottom of a river, of, of an ocean bed, of a, of a sea bed, and they're walking across on dry ground. They get across, and... The, Pharaoh, still angry, leads his men through the water, and the Red Seas crash down around the armies, and God obliterates one of the greatest armies in the world, at the same time delivering his chosen people as they go on. Now, 
the, the sad part is, as the children of Israel, they experience this great deliverance. They spend a matter of months in the wilderness, and they seem to forget how great and powerful God is. And they doubt his ability to beat a couple of giants. Now, Egypt had some of the greatest armies and chariots. Like, God broke the wheels off of chariots. And these guys are afraid of some really tall guys. And the children of Israel, they doubt God's ability to lead them into Canaan. And so they stop short of going into the land of Canaan. Now, if you recall, there were two, 12 spies sent into the land of, Israel, uh, of Canaan at that time. Essentially scouts, scouting at the land, see how they would go about doing the military conflict. And they spent 40 days there. As the judgment of God determined, he said, a year for each day. They spent 40 days looking at the land, and because they doubted God and his ability, God punished them and said, for 40 years you're going to wander. And every individual from the age of 20 years old and up perished in that wandering. And now, as Joshua is leading this group of people in, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, there's nobody over the age of 60. And actually, this dawned on me, as I was studying this again, outside of Joshua and Caleb, everyone was under the age of 60. If you, if you calculate it out, people who are 20 and below would have been able to go in. So under 20. Very few people would even be retirement age now, like of this group of people. All of them are under 60 with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. No retirement age. You've got a young group of people. The oldest people would have been at most 60 years old as they're going in here to prepare and to go to the land of Canaan. So we have this group of people that's getting ready to go in, and Joshua is leading this group. And as I'm looking at the story, there's a couple of things here. So they're, they're getting ready to go in, and they come to the Jordan River. Now, if this had been happening right after they had left Canaan, it wouldn't have been that impressive, really, or after they left Egypt, because they make, it's the Red Sea. And as I read the story about how they're walking through the Jordan River, it, it kind of harkens back to the Red Sea crossing. They're, they're walking across a body of water on dry ground that God stopped the water flow or the water. He parted it so they were able to walk on dry ground. And part of me, as I look at this, it, it almost, to a certain extent, seems anticlimactic. If you think about it, I mean, like, here you have the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They're rushed out of Egypt. They're here at the water. They're ready to go. And this army's there. And it's kind of like the height of tension. And then right here, it almost seems casual. It's like, hey, we're going to be getting ready to go tomorrow. No big hurry. Just, you know, whenever you see the priest walk through, just get your stuff. Walk out of the tents and follow them. Just go, don't get too close. Just, you know, keep their distance and just kind of follow through. To me, it seems very anticlimactic. I don't know if you get that sense there. But, like, Egypt, you have army, Red Sea. What are we going to do? And then now it's like, oh, here's a river. Even though it's overflowing, like, it's just like the way they're juxtaposed. It's just like completely opposite. And, and part of me looks at this, and I, I read the story and the account, and both are equally true. Both are equally miraculous. But as I look at it, it, it kind of, to me, it's, it seems like almost a letdown. If you were to read these all in one telling, it almost seems like a letdown as you get to the river. It's like, well, let me like, but it was the Red Sea. And like the Red Sea seems so much more impressive. And this miracle just kind of seems a little more ho-hum, if you can say it, miracles ho-hum. 
Now, as I was thinking about the connection on this one, just follow me for just a moment on this one. Now, I remember hearing an, ex- an odd expression, and it has to do with storytelling. And I don't know if anybody has ever actually heard this expression before, but there's a, a term, it's called jumping the shark. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but there's a, a term, and it's actually for, it comes from a reference to an old TV show that my grandmother used to watch called Happy Days. And the, as I was looking back, in the, this is, there's actually a, a story that happens, and it's actually a very common show. I, I've never actually even seen it, but like my grandma and my mom used to tell me about it when I was growing up a little bit. But there was apparently a, 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 an, a, an episode about halfway through the series when one of the characters who did a lot of different bizarre things comes to the point where he's water skiing. They go on a vacation, he's water skiing, and they literally have him jump a shark while he's water skiing, just kind of like the height of hilarity. But a lot of people look back and say that was the decline of the show because it kind of peaked. It was one of those things where this guy did a lot of weird things, but it was never competing. It was just kind of all the same things. But it was like, it was kind of like a high point that they could never get back up to again. And so as it dwindled over the years before cancellation, people look back and say, well, you know, it jumped the shark. They could never top the level of bizarreness. They, they couldn't get back up there. And so anytime, and now I guess it's a, a very common expression where if something peaks and they can't top that in the sequel, then it's never there. And sometimes I look, in, in relation to this story, sometimes I, I look at this story and I wonder, and was the Red Sea jumping the shark? Because when you look at the miracle afterwards, is it, can it measure up? Is it as miraculous? Like, it doesn't seem as impressive as the previous miracle. Now, in reality, any miracle is a miracle. It's something where God does something supernatural and changes something that's a natural event. So, not, I'm not meaning to be sacrilegious in saying the miracle isn't as impressive, but sometimes I think we look in our human understanding and we look at a miracle and we compare it, and sometimes, especially with these two miracles, we kind of miss the point that God is driving at. Because first of all, we have two distinct groups of Israelites. They're in completely different situations when the miracles take place. And God is actually trying to demonstrate two different points, even though the miracles are very similar and very close in proximity of time. And both of the events, when you look at both of the miracles, God is demonstrating to the children of Israel and to us two specific and distinct points. And if we look at the two groups and the differences between the miracles, you can actually see the fact that although God is demonstrating a miracle, he's doing it for two particular purposes. Now, if you think back, like I mentioned, the children of Israel, when they're getting ready to cross the Red Sea, they are an enslaved people. As they get ready to cross the Red Sea, they're, they're stuck in between an army and an impossible tra- you know, traveling situation. They're stuck there. It's impossible for them to get over, and they're almost in a hopeless situation. Like, they're just, they're almost like frozen right there. What they need is a miracle of salvation. They need something, they need to simply do what Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They need to experience his deliverance. 
They just need to see God's power at work. And so when God comes in and he parts the Red Sea, he's delivering a people who have no hope outside of that. Now, when we go fast forward 40 years, we have a people that has been delivered. They're, they're a delivered people. They don't need, if you, would, if you would, they don't need salvation. They are a free people. What they need to do is they need to follow God in faith, which, if you look at the miracle, they had to step into the water before the water parted. They weren't able to stand back and watch the waters part and know the ground was dry before they stepped out. They had to step into the water. Like the, as the story tells, the priests stepped into the water and then the water stopped. The second thing is, they're a cornered people here. When they left Egypt, they were cornered. They're like that, that animal that's just cornered and they're, they're full of fear. They're going in to the land of Canaan as a conquering people. They're going in to conquer the land. Now, the, before, they were in no position to fight. There was no way that those slaves would have been able to stand up to the might of Pharaoh. They, they were cowering in fear. There was nothing they could do. When they needed, the, the God they needed to dem, have demonstrated was the God that was full of might and power. And if you look back over the course of the, the time in Egypt um, and the Pharaoh and the, the land, most every time, God is saying, I'm going to show how strong I am. I'm going to show how strong I am. I'm going to show how strong I am. And Pharaoh was strong. The children of Israel were weak. And God was saying, you know, Pharaoh thinks he's strong, but he can't compare to my strength. And he, he knocked him down a peg. But there's two different people. And like I said, the waters of, of the Red Sea, they parted before they took a step. The waters of the, of the Jordan River... They parted after the priests took a step. Now, there's a couple of distinctions there. So, we, we see the different people, they're at a different stage in their life. Now, we know that Old Testament, as we look back, it actually is a, to demonstrate to us an example of our lives. And if we were to consider that in light of our lives, we, we can look at it and see, you know, well, there's a point when we're saved, and we need to understand that we need to get saved. There's nothing we can do. In relation to us, us in our sin, before we get saved, are much like the children of Israel in Egypt. We're in bondage to our sin. We have no hope of freedom. We could live a, a decent life. Many people live a decent life. But in reality, everyone is in bondage to their sin and the penalty of their sin until they are redeemed and delivered by God. Now, much like those people... The children of Israel, Egypt is, a, is a, a type of us getting saved and delivered from the world and from our life of sin. The children of Israel going into the land of Canaan is like us living our Christian lives. It's not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of our daily lives as Christians. We're delivered, and now we are called to walk by faith. Now, this, this life here... We see that there's two people at different stages. But there's something else about this that was very interesting that, uh, that kind of drew my, my attention. There was another distinction. I want you to think about the children of Israel and their crossing the Red Sea. They're so afraid of everything. Now, I don't know about you, but think about this. As they're walking through on the Red Sea, I can just see them touching the walls. I, I envision this. Like, they're, they're touching the walls. They're feeling it. I, I would. I'd be over there, I'd be the one getting yelled at, like, get away from that, get away from that. You don't know what's holding it up. 
you know, and I'm over there touching the wall like, it's just like right there and it's water and there's like nothing there. And then the children of Israel now, as they're walking across the Jordan, imagine this now. The, the, they watch and they're, they're told to keep back a distance so they can kind of all watch everything. And as the priests take the first step into the water, all of a sudden the water just stand up on a big heap. The water, it, I don't know how it happened, but maybe it just kind of like the water flowed and just kind of stood up in a heap. And maybe it just started spiraling up into something like a big tower. And it just stood up on a heap. A heap of water. Like, how many of you ever he- seen a heap of water? Like, of all the things that you heap, water is not one of them. You don't heap water. But this is heaped water. And the water is heaping up over here. And then, but here's the thing. They're stepping. Now, before, at the Red Sea, the water's parted, and they're watching it that way. And then they walk through. They're looking over here. They're looking at all this other stuff, and they're looking back at the army. But this is what happens. Watch. The priests step out on the water, and then it parts up under their foot. Their feet are going into the water, and as their soles of their feet touch the water, it goes up in the heap. Where do you think they're looking? Do you think they're looking up at the heap? Now, where, where do you look when you're stepping into water? You're looking down. They might have, I don't even think they saw the heap. They're watching these priests walk in the water, and they're looking at their feet. They're, they're stepping into water. They're stepping into a fast-moving water that's overflowing its banks, and they're stepping in. I'm looking at my feet. The priests are looking at their feet, and the people, as they go through, they're going to start looking at their feet. Because they're walking through on dry ground. Now, yeah, the, the heap is going to look cool, but they just saw these guys walk into water, and the ground, just, it was like ground. And so the people watch this from a distance as the, people are, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They get in there, and they're walking on the dry ground. The people are going to be staring at their feet. I'd be looking at my feet like, how is this going on? And they're taking those... You know, tentative steps, is there, you know, like a little kid, like, can I walk on this? Is this going to, what's going to happen? And it's dry ground. And as you walk through, and furthermore, the children of Israel are going through, they're instructed, and you will see this in chapter, you see this in chapter 4, that they're also instructed that those 12 men from the different tribes, each one is supposed to pick up a stone from the middle of the, rock, of the riverbed and carry it to the other side with them. And they, ha- they heap it up as a memorial to remind them of crossing the river. And it's actually alluded to the fact that this is supposed to remind them of the Red Sea crossing that they observed as kids. Now, because think about it. People who are between the ages of 40 and 60 saw this as little kids to the Red Sea. So they've seen this miracle before. And it said, well, you're going to stack these up so you can tell your kids that you saw the Red Sea and you saw this. And just as God did there... Now, there was a, there's a very big difference. <coughs> if you remember, we were talking about a different group of people. There was another thing, that very important thing that happened between the time the children left Egypt and the time they get to Canaan. God gave them the law. Now, there's a particular law that is of importance in this story. And I want to read it to you from Numbers chapter 15. The last few verses of Numbers 15. You can turn there if you'd like. It's Numbers 15. 
And this is in verse 38. It says this. Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the border of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember all of the commandments of the Lord and do them and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which ye used to go a whoring that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now remember, they're walking through. Where are they looking as they walk through on the ground? They're looking down. What's down? Their feet. Also, they see the border of their garment. Between the time they left Egypt and the time they're getting ready to go into Canaan, their clothing had changed. They, they dressed according to the laws that they were given by God. As his people, and as his covenant people, the thing they were walking through and they saw was a ribbon of blue through their garments that, reminded, that was meant to remind them every time they looked down or every time they took a walk and every time they took a step and looked down, they were to be reminded that God was the one who delivered them from Egypt and God was the one who set them on their course and he was the one who gave them their freedom and their liberty and their, their opportunity to serve him. They were set free from Egypt and as they left Egypt, they were in those slave garments. They were in that, that clothing just like riddled with sin. It was just they, their whole life, it was consumed with what had dominated their lives, which was their sin and their bondage. The people going into Canaan, they're free they have their own, they have a new, literally have new clothes. I don't think it's a stretch to say your, your clothing should change when you get saved. Um, the, the, their whole clothing was different, and that brought about a remembrance of who God was in their lives. And as, we, as you wrap up what's happening here with, with the children of Israel, they come through on this dry ground. In verse 4 of chapter, uh, or in chapter 4 and verse 19, as we wrap up the story and the account of, their, them, of them crossing over the, the Jordan River, this is how it kind of wraps up. It says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Pardon. Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. It says this, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God. Forever. The point is here, when we look at the, the, the different miracles and the crossing of the Red Sea versus the crossing of the Jordan River, again, it's meant to be miracles to demonstrate God's power to two distinctive people. People who are in bondage to sin, they need to see God's power demonstrated. They have no hope. They don't believe God. They, they don't trust God. They don't have faith yet. They can barely trust enough for the salvation. They, they barely have that faith. 
People who have been delivered need to demonstrate the power of God specifically for those people who need to experience God's deliverance. For those of us here, if you've never been saved, you're just like the the children of Israel in Egypt. Every one of us starts off there. Every one of us is in the same boat. According to Romans, every one of us is a sinner, and our sin condemns us to hell. Because that is our just deserve, our, our just punishment and our just wages for our sin. Christ paid that penalty, and through Christ's death and burial and resurrection, we can experience salvation by trusting in him through faith. That is us coming to God and saying, you know what, I have no hope of myself, but we can see God's deliverance and we'll experience that. Now, every one of us who has experienced that will now live as a delivered people. And each and every one of us is going to come to the place in our lives where we can choose to either reject following after God's best for our lives and pursuing after him, or we can decide, you know what? God demonstrated his power in my life, and he can continue to do so, and we need to live a conquering life and go after and pursue God's best in our life. And that's going to happen as we change and as we follow God's law and as we apply God's law to our lives, we're going to start seeing a difference in our lives. And just like the children of Israel, as they got ready to go into the land of Canaan, they started demonstrating the power of God in their lives. Now, right in the same section, we see Rahab. Now, Rahab, if you read the account of Rahab, think about it like this. As you read the account of Rahab and, and her testimony, she, she refers to the fact that she knows about what they did to Egypt. She knows what the Israelites God did to Egypt 40 years ago. It, the word got around. The people in the world knew what God could do. They, they saw it happen to Egypt. They had no question that God had power. And Rahab helped the spies and helped the people of Israel because she saw that power 40 years ago. And she knew, and they, they saw this. The people in Jericho, they saw this, this, these people coming. It's not like they were coming in secret. They saw them coming. Rahab saw them coming and said, you know what? I can't fight against this God. And, and she followed after them and she obeyed them and she, she helped them because she said, you know what? I can't do anything against this God. He, he is the true God. And she understood his power and she didn't fight against that. And the whole idea, as we go out and we display God's power in our lives... That is what people need to have demonstrated. As people of God, we need to demonstrate God's power in our lives. And that is going to happen as, we're faithful to his, as, as we are faithful to his commandments and we are obedient to him in our lives. That is going to cause his power to be evidence in our lives. And as we demonstrate God's power in our lives, the very same people who were stuck in the same position we were at once will look at that and say, hey, God can deliver. Maybe he can deliver me too. Every one of us is going to be in one of those two camps. You can either be the person who needs deliverance, and let me tell you, if you've never come to Christ as your Savior, you need that deliverance. There's not going to be an exception because you said, well, I I just didn't believe it. It's still true. God still holds you to the commandment, and you've heard his word. And those of us in here who have experienced that salvation, 
and have experienced that. And I'm guilty of this myself. Do we demonstrate that often enough? Do we express what happened in our lives to people enough? The people we come in contact with and we brush shoulders with every day, do we share that, that deliverance with them? Is that power evident in us? Or when they look at us, do they, do they look at us as being under the same weight of sin as they are? Because seriously, if somebody out in the world looks at our lives and says, you know what, they're in the same bondage, they're in the same sin, they're, they're wrapped up in the same thing that I am, they, they, don't, they can't have hope. They can't have truth. They can't have anything different than I am. God, I don't see God in their lives. If that's what God can do in your life, he, not different than mine. Every one of our lives should demonstrate something about God's power and God's deliverance. So the question for you tonight is, I, w- I would venture to say that most anybody here that's on a Thursday night has experienced that salvation. The question would be, now that you're saved and you've experienced that deliverance, what are you doing to demonstrate to other people, what are you doing to demonstrate to those Rahabs out there how they can experience that same deliverance? Or are they going to look at you and say, what power of God? The question tonight is, what are you going to do to demonstrate the power of God in your life? What areas do you need to change to be more obedient to God? Like I said, you know, I'm not stretching it with the clothing thing. Your clothing should tell something different about you. And really to those people there, it wasn't so much about who saw them, but what they saw in themselves. See, the, the people of God... They were a redeemed people. And that, clo- that, that fringe around their border, it was more for them than it was for other people. And just this is not really a stretch, I don't believe, but the value that God sees in you is demonstrated in how you dress. And the whole issues of everything with modesty or this or that, you're a redeemed people. God has a great value on you. His son died for you. That's how valuable you are to God. He, you are very important to him. And that visual thing for you, that's how you see yourself. And that's how you... That, you need to get a vision of how God sees you. And that's what changes us. And it's the outward appearance, but it's not like you're showing off for people. It's just outward appearance is going to change as a byproduct of understanding who God is, and who you are before a holy God. He is a holy God, therefore we should be holy. We are set apart unto Him, and every part of our lives should demonstrate that. Every part of us should demonstrate how different we are as a result of experiencing His salvation. So this evening, I would challenge you to, to just look over those, uh, over those areas of your life. If you, if you can just pinpoint some of those things and... And, and a lot of times, the things aren't necessarily like going to be outwardly evident. They're going to be simple things in your, in your everyday conduct that you're going to think of, man, you know what? That person, I could have actually spoken to that person. Or was that, there was that opportunity that was opened up that I just didn't take to share the gospel. There was that time when somebody said something jokingly, and I didn't take that opportunity to really encourage them or to challenge them to live for God or to change their life. Or there, there was that opportunity where somebody was obviously bound up in some kind of a vice. And I didn't take the opportunity to encourage them and say, you know what? I understand where you were. I was there myself. This is what God did for me. And that's really all the children of Israel did when it came to Rahab. They didn't say, man, 
you deserve to be thumped. They simply said, you know, yeah, God's power was great in our lives. You're going to like it. It's going to be great for you. So this evening, if you would, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Let's go ahead and we can just take a few moments here. I would encourage you um, just to bow your heads, close your eyes. And as we, as we discuss this evening, you know, one, there is a, an imperative need for everyone to, to have experienced salvation. So if you're here this evening, if you've never taken an opportunity or you don't remember a distinctive time when you actually got saved. There's not a, a, a time when you can look back and say, you know what, this is the time when I experienced God's deliverance in my life. If there's not a moment like that, I would encourage you to take the opportunity to speak with one of us here and, and allow us to show you from God's Word how you can clearly know with certainty that you've experienced God's deliverance. And those of us here that have experienced God's deliverance, I would just ask you to pray with me the simple thought of, God, allow me to demonstrate your deliverance in my life. So this, this time we're going to just let the, the piano play. 